More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome, everybody. Monday edition of Clay and Buck kicks off right now. We've got a lot of stories to get through, a lot to talk about all across this great land of ours. Attorney General Merrick Garland was on TV over the weekend insisting that DOJ officials do not allow partisan considerations to play any role in their determination. Sure, we'll discuss that. You have Donald Trump appearing in his fraud trial in New York City. We'll have some updates on that one for you. They are coming at Trump not only in four different criminal indictments, but also civil uh, civil assault using the legal system against Donald, Donald Trump. Um, Clay and I haven't gotten to talk together yet here on air about the possibility of an RFK Jr. Well, we've talked about the possibility, but RFK Jr. has brought up that this may actually happen. Something to discuss. The likely new senator from the state of California. Certainly a topic uh, we should be discussing. You've got a couple scientists get the Nobel Prize in medicine for the discoveries that enable the mRNA vaccines development to fight against COVID. Feels like feels like maybe. A little bit of politics in uh, in this because it's not like they just figured it out recently. Um, so we'll have that conversation uh, here as well. But uh, of all the things that I saw, you know, I moved on Friday, so I was really I was out of the news cycle. I was Clay stacking boxes and carrying them and complaining about my lower back and doing the things that one does during a move. The government getting funded. Not a surprise. And I know that there are people, we can talk about it, the back and forth with uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy and did he sell out and is he the McCarthy that people thought he was until about, what was it, the beginning of this year or no, yes, the beginning of this year when he was all of a sudden based, uh, hardcore, you could count on him, Speaker McCarthy. Uh, seems like maybe some people have a little bit of a different opinion right now. But the most interesting thing that I saw, the moment when I was thinking, wow, 
This is when it's fun to be on radio, Clay. This is when you have something to discuss, is the pulling of a fire alarm by Congressman Jamal Bowman and the efforts to try to explain this away over the course of, of the weekend. Um, the the decision that they were going to back this up, Clay, was absolutely crazy. Wait, here we go. Here is MSNBC. So just so we're all clear, they're trying to have a vote to fund the government, and a, a Democrat member of Congress decides to pull the fire alarm in, in Congress so they can't hold the vote, right? That's the that's on video. Happened. These are the facts of the case. They are not in dispute. Everyone agrees. Here is MSNBC trying to explain this one. Play four. There was a mention of Jamal Bowman, Congressman um, Jamal Bowman, and the pulling of some sort of fire alarm. I just want to read for you some of the reporting so you understand what actually went on there. Um, There were some reports that began to emerge about Representative Bowman, who was um, seen pulling some sort of fire alarm um, in the Cannon House office building earlier today. We got a statement on that. Um, saying Congressman Bowman did not realize he would trigger a building alarm as he was rushing to make an urgent vote. The congressman regrets any um, confusion, just to clarify some things on that. I mean, just, just to clarify, Clay, h- how many accidental fire alarm pulls in the halls of any building have you done in your life? Because I know the answer for me is zero. Zero. And, and, and I think this is, this is one so fun because it's so profoundly stupid. Um, it would be one thing if he had gone through a door. Because I was thinking about this as this story continued to grow. And I bet you have done this too, Buck. In fact, I did it recently at a New York City hotel. There was a long wait for an elevator. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to go down the stairs myself. You get down to ground level. And there's kind of a door that's a little bit cracked open. But it says, you know, if you open this door, the emergency alarm is going to go off. And you make the decision. You're like, yeah, I don't think the emergency alarm is actually going to go off. You walk out through the door. I've, I've never set off an alert emergency alarm on a door before, but to make the so I, if he had done that, I would say, oh, you know, maybe he's making the decision that he doesn't think this alarm is going to go off. Maybe this door is not actually alarmed, which I don't know. It feels like 75% of the time, those emergency exit door alarms are not actually armed and people go in and out of them all the time. But to make the decision to pull the alarm on the wall, there, there is, unless there is a fire and you are trying to create a fire alarm, I can't imagine anybody over the age of like five or six intentionally doing that and trying to make an excuse because there is no defense in that position, it is going to go off, right? And so I I just, I, I don't know what the consequences from a legal perspective should be for him, although using January 6th as a precedent where everybody who did anything remotely to uh, to forestall the execution of the government's business was punished to the full extent of the law, based on that precedent, there should be criminal charges brought. But at a minimum, he should own what he did, which was very intentional, and it appears designed to create more time for Democrats to be able to react to the situation when there was uh, certainly a rush job at, uh, afoot to try to pass a variety of different bills. I mean, what's your take? Should he be prosecuted criminally in your mind? <sighs> 
I mean, it's answer- such a stupid thing to do, right? But the precedent they've set is full extent of the law prosecution for stupid things that truly weren't threats. I mean, if you're putting grandmas in jail for walking around with selfie sticks in the Capitol, then a congressperson pulling a fire alarm intentionally seems like it should be criminal. It, well, it's definitely a crime. The question is, will they prosecute and what would the punishment be? Uh, look, this happened when I was in college. People would do this. They would get oh, yeah. drunk and perhaps smoke certain substances and they thought it was somehow funny. This, this was a, we had a, a plague of this on our campus yeah. for a while, many, many years ago. People would pull the fire alarm because the fire trucks would all show up and everyone have to get outside. But the by building. the way, it also, the result of this is when you have all these false fire alarms go off, eventually you just don't react to a fire alarm. And then there could be a fire and somebody could end up being a victim because they're so used to these things going off, right? The answer, though, is I think in the case, I went to school in Massachusetts, I think it was like a $500 fine for a first-time offense, something like that. You know, we, we've got to be clear. When you talk about obstructing, you know, government business, they're going to make a defense. First of all, they're going to just say that, I don't know what else to say, that, that he was so, that he's so inept in, in his ability to distinguish I don't know. Can they make if that you, argument? If Is you that... pull a friggin' fire alarm, I you're pulling a fire alarm, right? Yeah, on the wall again. If he had gone through a, a door and yeah, that like, can happen. I didn't to think that was monitored. I didn't think it was going to go off. Like we've used that door for a long time and it's never you know gone off before. Like I could understand his defense. There is no way to me, and I would say the same thing. I've got a 15 year old buck. You're talking about in a, in a dorm. If there was video of my 15 year old pulling a fire alarm at his school. I would say, or my tw- or my thirteen year old, I would say, you guys deserve punishment for this. Like, there's no way to defend pulling a fire alarm on the wall. That I mean, it, it's like if you break a, the glass to get a fire extinguisher and you start spraying the fire extinguisher and there's no fire, like you should be punished for that, right? There, there's no defense for anyone over the age of about five or six years old to me pulling a fire alarm on the wall. And the fact that he did it and is trying to claim that there, that he did nothing wrong, if he just owned it, uh, I, I would feel a little bit different, maybe. But I, I, I think he should be prosecuted. And I hate to say that because I'm not a hanging judge, so to speak. Like, I don't think we should be trying to throw the full book at everybody for relatively minor offenses. But when you're putting grandmas with selfie sticks in prison for disrupting Congress, why would you not hold a congressman to the same standard at this point? You know, now I feel like I'm in the I'm in my uh, Congressman Bowman's lawyer over here. Um, you know, they'll argue that there's a difference in the severity between uh, the the transfer of power and the congressional vote in that instance, and this. Although this is government funding, it's a big Here's deal. Here's the question, actually. Buck: Has this ever happened before? Because I don't remember a congressperson ever intentionally pulling a fire alarm no. before on camera. So I mean, it's I mean, not I'll, as I'll, if this is like some sort of you know usual procedural tactic. I, I think that here's here's one thing you know if someone called in let's say a a bomb threat anywhere Mm -hmm. a bomb threat to congress certainly would fall into this category like oh yeah they find you you're going to go to prison right yeah you're going to set you're going to prison time and you should um yeah Uh, you you see in this case pulling a fire alarm he's falling on the uh falling into the argument or making the argument that it was somehow an accident i don't think that's plausible but I don't think that in other cases where people have pulled fire alarms, 
they go to prison. That's what I was like. They're not going to. Oh, I don't like, think you should go. I'm, I'm saying you should prosecute him. I don't think you should. I mean, yeah, I don't think anybody would he, convict him. But if you're going to set be the precedent fine. of we prosecute grandmas with selfies, yeah, he might pay a $500 fine eventually. But what I mean, if you do this, I mean, it, let's just take it take it outside of, of Congress. If you got caught pulling a fire alarm in most high schools in America and you set off a fire alarm, there would be pretty consequential punishment, I think, to the average kid if they found you on camera yeah, doing suspend that. You. I don't know what it would be. Yeah, they'd probably suspend you for a week or two. I mean, Clay, yeah. this is this is the, the the issue for everyone who's saying the law is the law. I can tell you that they'll say other people who have pulled fire alarms in other instances have ended up paying a fine. So should he be should he be forced to do that? Yes, because if the law is the law, then that's what the law says. But the, the um, you know. Maybe he's gonna. No one's gonna get locked up for this. Is my point. Like that's just yeah. not realistic. So well, people, that would be the, the January six comparisons to this. Yeah. Um, are are not going to sway anybody in the D.C. legal system. Um, but we do have a we have a two a two track legal system now based on what side of the political aisle you're on, and particularly in Washington D.C., uh, which you see not only in this instance with the the way this is likely to play out, and it's funny that they're like AOC was on TV. Saying that in a moment of panic, he, moment of panic, what? It's, it's it's not it's implausible. Like they're making implausible arguments and they know it and they don't care. But you know, I I think that in D.C., whether it's Trump facing uh, Judge Ch- uh, Chutkin and the J. Six trial or anything kind of day to day run of the mill uh, workings of the justice system, if you are a conservative or a Republican, or considered to be on the right, you are starting off in a bad in a bad position. If you're a Democrat, the opposite is true. Correct. And you get the benefit of being in Washington, D.C., where it's almost impossible to convict the Democrat of anything. So, I mean, you talk about a rigged jury system that's totally in favor of, of you. I think maybe the end result, Buck, is they should just censure him. I mean, I would think every Republican would vote, hey, if you pull the fire alarm to try to delay the process of uh, of uh, getting votes done in House of Representatives or Senate, that's a big no-no. Uh, maybe that's the end result. I also think Democrats should stop defending him. I think we have audio of people that, I mean, again, just proving that there is no ridiculous thing that can be done that people will not defend um, and that's just the latest example of rampant partisanship that is taking over in this country where you're literally defending a guy who intentionally pulled a fire alarm. I mean, wh- what are we going to here? Well, I, I think it's because they realize they ha- they have to make some kind of defense because otherwise he just broke the law and there have to be some kind of consequences, right? So they're, they're le- they have no good options. It's kind of like running Joe Biden for re-election. Nobody wants to do it, Clay. Yeah, they got no good options. Look, I didn't have time for it this weekend, but to all the gun owners out there, did you manage to get a visit into the gun range this weekend? Because whenever you can get a few hours of target practice, you know your skills improve. Nothing takes the place of practice. But if your weekend was like mine, you're a little busy for a range visit. Well, guess what? You can still get in practice just like I do with the Mantis X system. This is the way a lot of gun owners are now training. It's called dry fire practice. That's what the Mantis X is a firearms training system that is a no-ammo, all-electronic way to improve your shooting accuracy. This device attaches to your firearm like a weapon light, and it it connects to your phone and the Mantis X app. It gives you data-driven, real-time feedback on your technique and guides you through drills and courses. 
you're going to quickly see an improvement in your scores. In fact, 94% of new Mantis X users improve within 20 minutes of using the Mantis X. Start improving your shooting accuracy today. Get yours at MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X.com. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I encourage you guys to go subscribe to the Clay and Buck podcast. We're going to be breaking out our friend Carol Markowitz in the Clay and Buck podcast team. We will also continue to have Tudor Dixon. We're adding more every single week basically that is unique and original that you guys can enjoy if you go sign up for the clay and buck podcast and we appreciate all of you who have done so we certainly love all of you listening on 500 or so am fm stations all over the country as well basically you can find the show everywhere and you can go download as always the iheart radio app and stream this show anywhere in the world um so on Friday's show, as Buck was knee-deep, probably way higher than knee-deep in moving boxes, getting into his new place, we talked about the death of Diane Feinstein and how quickly it was likely to be the case that California Governor Gavin Newsom would have a new nominee to replace her. 
Um, and we said that he had announced, Gavin Newsom had prior, that he would only pick a black woman as his selection when it came, if it became necessary, for him to announce a replacement. And so uh, already this morning, there has been, I believe it's been officially announced, the story certainly went out on Sunday evening. Um, Newsom picked a woman named LaFonza Butler. Uh, she is she may actually live in Maryland. She may not even live in California, but she hit the trifecta. She is black, a woman, and gay. Uh, maybe even hit for the cycle since she worked at Emily's List, and that is one of the biggest donors in the entire uh, Democrat political base. So uh, Gavin Newsom has done what Joe Biden did, Buck, which is pick someone for the job, much like Joe Biden picked uh, maybe Kamala Harris. I think it's probably the case that he picked his vice president because she was a black woman. But we know specifically that Joe Biden had done what, Buck? He had said Katanji Brown-Jackson, who was his pick, for the Supreme Court. He said specifically he would pick a black woman for the Supreme Court. He had made a pledge that he would pick a woman for his vice presidential running mate, not that it would be a black woman, but probably not a surprise that he picked a black woman. And now Gavin Newsom has picked a black woman after saying, I will limit my search to only black women. It's worth noting that black women make up about 6% of the United States population. So when you are saying, I'm only going to pick a black woman, another way of analyzing this is you are specifically saying, I'm excluding 94% of the American population from consideration. And what I think is even worse is you're delegitimizing your pick on its face because you're not even arguing they're the most qualified person. You're telling us, I'm picking based on identity politics, and then you're doing it. What do you think about this, Buck? Well, this is... um. I think in some ways a window into Newsom's uh, aspirational thinking for himself, as in he understands that any opportunity that he can have to try to build uh, strength with the most consistently Democrat voting demographic of all, the the highest percentage, which is the black female voter in America, is... And, and in Democrat primary is really the deciding factor in a lot of the key states and the early states. So the politics for Gavin Newsom are are quite clear. Um, look, I, I think that there's a lot of work to be done in the aftermath of that Supreme Court decision that finally said you can't do this uh, racial discrimination in college admissions. There need to be a lot of lawsuits and yeah. there need to be state companion laws or you know uh laws passed at the state level to that uh supreme court decision that solidify that you can't do this now there's stuff like that in florida i think there are some states that are taking action on this but the whole apparatus of uh dei and what has been called in the supreme court the racial entitlement state uh, it's not going to dismantle itself it must be actively dismantled and the way to do that is through is through the law is through the legal system, because until that happens, you're just going to have more of this, which is, okay, it's not constitutional, but people are still going to find ways to use race and and gender and gender identity and, and you know, sexual orientation and all these different things um, as, well, 
social engineering tools, but also as means of building political coalitions and, and of wielding power and discriminating against people in the process. Um, the, the funniest thing about this all is, have they figured out yet if she's even a California resident? They think she's a Maryland resident, right? That this is what I was seeing, which you would think that that, that would be a problem. Like, I, I think you got to live in the state you're supposed to be the senator from. Um, I guess we'd have to look and see what the specific uh, uh, specific requirements may be. But Gavin Newsom is, he, Clay, I mean, he, he's running. I just don't think he's running this time around. And so every move that he makes is going to be calculated to that end and to that effect. And this is a guy who, as, as charming as he may be, as windswept as his hair may look while he's drinking his Chardonnay on the front of his yacht out at the Catalina Island Festival, Catalina Wine Festival. A couple um, things uh, on this buck that, that I think are amazing. Uh, not, not to mention, of course, his hair is, is fabulous. I actually, when I saw the story about whether she was a resident of California, I think that Gavin Newsom is so diabolical. I actually thought to myself, I wonder if this gets him off the hook if he appoints a black woman, she then is determined not to be a resident of the state and then not eligible. Does he have to pick another black woman? Um, like, I don't know how far the identity politics rules require. So I'm wondering if he picks someone he knew was ineligible so that he could actually pick the person he wanted to without violating his pledge. Second part of this, and I love this. Meghan Markle, who I guess technically qualifies as a black woman, um, is talking about running for the Senate seat. Do you think that Meghan Markle or her representatives reached out to Gavin Newsom to let it be known that she would be okay being appointed to the United States Senate? And can you imagine the reaction if Gavin Newsom had appointed Meghan Markle as California's new senator? You, you know, <laughs> uh, this would that's what I'm rooting tough, for, pure It's chaos. tough to know, with Meghan Markle, it's tough to know what she's doing for attention or what her PR team puts out for attention versus what is a true delusion that she is suffering from, right? So was this a story floated out because now people like you and me and so many others have to address this because it crosses over into our world, right? When you're talking about it being the next interim senator from California, it crosses over into our world. Uh, but also, I, I think that there are people who... um once they achieve a certain degree of, of money and notoriety and, and you know, fame and wealth, their narcissism gets put on steroids and they lose all uh, all sense of like reality and accountability around them. You know, now they think they're they're capable of doing um, absolutely anything. And the, the crazy part of this whole situation is Clay. I mean, Meghan Markle will be a better senator than Diane Feinstein was, <laughs> you know, toward the very end. I mean, Let's be honest. I mean, that's, yeah. that is a statement of fact. They had a they had a senator, and I wasn't here when she passed away. And you know, rest in peace and prayers for the. We're anti death. Um, we're anti death on this program. We're anti death of, of yeah. any of anybody out there. But uh, in the final years here, I mean, you had somebody who was not in, not able to control not only her personal affairs, as in bank accounts and those kinds of decisions, but her personal affairs like getting ready and combing her hair and and doing things like that. I mean, personal care. I also saw that Nancy Pelosi's daughter was very involved with uh, Diane Feinstein as her a, like a yes. primary caregiver for her. I mean, she had a uh, buck. She wasn't able. She had a power of attorney signed over. I, I don't know that most people understand how crazy this is. 
she had a power of attorney. She wasn't able to bind herself legally to any document. Someone else had to sign for her. She was able to still bind the whole state of California for purposes of voting in the Senate. You shouldn't be able to have no power of attorney in your private life and still be serving in your public life. I mean, she had she voted the day before she died, Buck. She had no idea what she was voting on. Yeah, well, this is but this is where you start to get to all these conversations, all these discussions that occur about whether somebody has the leadership capabilities or the cognitive ability or whatever for this role. This is now just all about the the edifice of Democrat power. And if you are a reliable vote in that whole process, you can make a very clear argument. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, these this isn't this isn't Cicero in the you know yeah. in the Roman Forum or whatever trying to make or in in front of the Roman Senate trying to make some kind of persuasive argument. Um, I mean, see see John Fetterman for example. What you have is a system that is increasingly self perpetuating, regardless of who the specific leaders may be. You know, it, it operates like a massive machine instead of a bunch of individuals who exp- who have leadership uh, capabilities. I you know. This this individual um, who has been named as the likely uh, appointee here, um, LaFonza Butler, she's going to be the third black woman to ever serve in the Senate, and she'll be the third openly LGBTQ plus person to serve in the in the chamber. And you know, I I wonder, Clay, I I sit here and I say, is this where we are now? Where just that alone? Uh, being able to add to those lists or being able to be counted in those categorizations is considered more important than than anything that will be done in the role by this yes. individual. I mean, I, what I does think that that's say the, about what what our leadership class is really all about? Well, I mean, it it points out to California in a scary way as the presumptive leader right now in the identity politics caravan, and a part of me, Buck, feels like. The only way identity politics gets blown up, and I hate to even have to contemplate that this is real, but that Kamala Harris ends up president of the United States. I know I, see, all of you I, out there. I know you say that. I've heard this theory with you, right? And yeah. I, I hear it through, uh, you know, and, and I hear you. And Clay, I, how bad could it possibly be that they would think that it's bad enough that uh, it would overcome the benefits that they see from well, the, the diversity? Co- you know, it. I mean, she's probably she's probably better at the job than Joe Biden is right now. Potentially, another- but I do think she would be so bad, Buck, that if she were the nominee, she would get squashed. I really do believe, and I understand you can make the argument the nominee doesn't even matter, which is that that's the real scary but logical. She's just, but she's just one person, right? So if she's just one person, they're not. I mean, why would that bring down the whole diversity and inclusion edifice if she's bad at her job? They'd say, all right, well, Kamala failed, but the next diversity and inclusion candidate is going to be fantastic. I mean, I well, just don't. I think, it, I think you're starting to see all over America people get elevated beyond their ability. And there are lots of jobs where, it, like I would say, I hate to say this, I think any any sort of mediocrity could do the job of United States Senator and they don't you have to be so bad at the job of a senator to really be noticed. I mean, Fetterman can't speak, and so we kind of notice that he's really bad at that job. There are a lot of United States senators that aren't very smart, by the way, of both parties, that aren't very skilled, that aren't very politically astute. And in the group of a hundred, you kind of get lost. 
When you're the decider in chief, the scary thing about the logical extension of your argument, Buck, is that it doesn't even matter who president is. Yes. Right, because that's really Joe Biden's. Like that, that that's the scary thing about Biden. This is the argument that I'm yeah. making, though. That's, that's the why sca- I get. It. I hear you. You know, you come from an, a private sector and entrepreneurship background where the results are really all that matters. Yes. And you know, I I saw this in the CIA from a government perspective. It, it's always the machinery, and everyone's super replaceable, and people want the minimum amount of accountability and responsibility and the maximum benefit of being in the role all the time. That's the way the whole system operates, right? So that's scary to me. Like, this is why I couldn't do government jobs, right? Like, I I mean, mine is the background is entrepreneurship and also buck sports, where if you suck at your job in sports, everybody sees it and you get replaced. And if you suck typically as a CEO of a for-profit corporation, you typically are going to get replaced because your failure is noticeable in terms of the results. The scary thing about your argument is most government jobs, your performance is almost unnoticeable, and you're just a cog that they plug in. Joe Biden's a perfect example of that. Like, What does he actually do on a day-to-day basis? I don't even know. This is my argument, top to bottom. It doesn't really matter anymore because of the way (laughs) the system functions. And that's why... Right. Yeah. And that's why when someone comes along who is a system disruptor, and for a lot of people, that's why Trump is so appealing. It is such a threat to the system. I mean, whether you're talking about the FBI, the CIA, the CDC, those entities are slothful, bloated and highly bureaucratic until the system itself feels challenged. Yes. And then they they move with a ferocity and a focus that would blow people's minds. Then all of a sudden. You know, that's that's when you when you're a whistleblower in the FBI, you find out real fast how effective the FBI can be when they want to and what kind of intimidation or, you know, CDC, CIA and any of these places. So, I mean, with Kamala, you say that she would do a a terrible job. Yeah, of course, you and I and and the people listening, um, she's she's not a person of high levels of competence. The, The weakness with Kamala, and this is another part of the argument, too. It's not that she couldn't be president. I don't think any Democrats think that because Joe Biden's Clay, Look, at some, John Kerry, buffoon. Yeah. That guy was almost president. Al Gore, total clown, almost president. I mean, you go back, you look at these people. They're not impressive. They're not smart. They have no leadership capabilities. You know, they got a famous last name or they, were, or they married a, a really rich lady or, you know, right place, right time. The problem with Kamala is she's not a good politician in the campaign. She can't win. Yeah. Right? That's where the, that's what they're worried about. They're doing the job, the, the advisors would do all of that. You know, it, it's sort of a self-perpetuating machine. What do you think, folks? 800-282-2882. How do you see it? Are you on a fixed income? You'll benefit from an investment that delivers consistent returns without compromising your financial security. Phoenix Capital Group offers high-yield corporate bonds with returns of 9 to 13% annual interest that pays out monthly. With 2,000-plus satisfied investors paid on time every time, Phoenix Capital Group is giving investors a new high-yield option, investing in domestic energy assets. Start earning these high yields and learn more about multiple offerings today at phxonair.com. Learn more by downloading the free investment guide at phxonair.com. You can diversify your investments and earn 9 to 13% annual interest. The Phoenix Capital Group can help you out today. Investment in bonds have a certain amount of risk associated with it, and you should only invest if you can afford to bear the risk of loss. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Visit phxonair.com today. 
Trump speaking to reporters outside of the civil fraud trial in New York City. We'll play you that cut here in a moment. But, Buck, something for you to think about. We were just talking about it off air and all of you out there, too, as well. The entire purpose of this civil fraud trial seems to be to attack Trump and argue that he's not as rich as he claims to be. But he's still really rich. And is there anybody out there who cares whether Trump, I think, is a billionaire just based off the real estate assets that he owns, whether it's Mar-a-Lago, whether it's the golf courses. You know, we went out to Bedminster, Buck. I have no idea what the value of Bedminster is, but it's a lot. Um, certainly the, the value of uh, his penthouse in Trump Tower, all the different real estate holdings. I don't know what Trump's net worth is. A lot of that would deter- be determined by what a buyer would pay for a physical asset at any point in time. But I feel like he's got to be a billionaire. I mean, heck, the airplane that he flies in by itself, the Trump Force One big jumbo jet, is probably, I mean, some of you out there are more knowledgeable on private aviation than I am, but that's got to be, I mean, a $50 million airplane, 40 or $50 million airplane at a minimum. I would think, and if you can, you know, send me a message or something if you're an expert in in aircraft, and let me know what you think that's worth. But my point all all this is, this attack seems to me, Buck, very strange because there's a lot of things you can come after Trump on. Whether he's really rich or not doesn't feel like an angle that you can attack him on. And they tried this with like the tax returns and everything else. Well, you and I were talking off air. I don't know how many billionaires there are on the planet. There's only a few thousand of them. Trump is one of the wealthiest people on the planet, I think. I mean, whether he's the 4,000 wealthiest person or whether he's the 634th, does that really change anybody's opinions of Trump in any way? No, but that's, I don't think that's the purpose of the, uh, the civil fraud trials. Um, I, I think what they're doing here. It's it's really a multi-pronged strategy. First of all, the legal strategies we know is clearly a multi-pronged effort. It's civil and criminal. They're they're coinciding. They're timing yeah. these things so that Trump is going to have maximum, uh, you know, maximum legal headache at at the at the time of the election or you know in the election year. Um, part of this is clay to drain time, resources, and energy. I think which is a guarantee, the process is the punishment. So by dragging him into these cases, I mean, his legal bills, yes, he's a very wealthy guy, but uh, his legal bills for all these different cases have got to be absolutely enormous. Yes. Um, And so that's, now you could say, well, that's not going to make much difference. Well, he's going to an election, he's got to raise money, he's got to be running a a campaign that's going to cost, they're going to raise a billion dollars, I'm sure, uh, running for president. So that's an aspect of it. Um, and then also, it just goes to, I don't think this is about trying to convince anyone who's a Republican that Trump isn't that rich or whatever. They don't, they don't, to your point, they don't care. Um, it's just to try to uh, try to hit him with the label of he's a fraud. He lost a fraud case in court. He's a fraud, according to our court system. He's a fraud. Oh, and by the way, he's a criminal. It's just more of the... Uh, the the information operations, you know, information warfare campaign against Trump as a brand. So th- that to me is 
you know, that's how they're seeing it. I don't, I don't think they view it as, well, he's not rich, so people aren't going to want to vote for him anymore. Well, I, I think they're, uh, I, when well, not, I say not that, that rich. You know, yeah. Whatever. So by the way, according to our staff, there were 3,194 billionaires in 2022. 756 of those people are in the United States, according to that data. So Trump is one of the richest people in the world. I actually, th- th- this ties in, and, and by the way, here's Trump. Let's go ahead and play this. This is Trump explaining why he's in New York City for this fraud trial today. Listen. Mr. Trump, why do you want to be here in person today? Because I want to watch this witch hunt. I've been a witch hunt for years. This is really now getting dirty between Jack Smith and between all of these DOJ people helping them along. This is a pure witch hunt for purposes of interfering with the elections of the United States of America. It's totally illegal. This judge should be disbarred. He shouldn't be allowed to be a judge. Thank you. Okay, so the one thing I think is interesting here, Buck, is I think we are setting ourselves up in the event that these cases actually go to trial. And the first one is scheduled to start in March in terms of the criminal cases in D.C., I think Trump may do press conferences every day while the trial's going on. And this is important because Jack Smith is trying to gag him right now. We're going to see a criminal trial that is truly not leave aside the fact that Trump is the uh, currently former president running for presidential office again. I can't even remember a time, Buck. When a criminal defendant would do press, I mean, I'm laughing about it because it's so crazy. Where a criminal defendant would potentially do daily press conferences. I'm not talking about his lawyers. I'm talking about the defendant himself potentially on the steps of the courthouse as basically his campaign strategy. Because I think that's a little bit of a preview of what you just saw. That, that is the campaign. I mean, this is the, the million dollar question, uh, or maybe the trillion dollar question given the stakes these days is will these appearances going forward in 2024, because there's going to be more of them, whether it's just to get trials moved or motions or whatever, will uh, uh, will the visual of Donald Trump showing up and saying this is all rigged. I mean, usually the lawyer is the one that does this too, which I think is so interesting. Trump speaks for himself there. Usually you'd you'd have a lawyer, especially in in a criminal case, you'd have a lawyer do all the talking. Um I think that you're going to see this is um, something that that uh, the Democrats believe is very effective for Trump in the primary. Uh, the gamble that they are taking is that it will be toxic in swing states to independent voters. Uh, and that's now that's what they what think. do you think? Yeah, I, I get it. And, and I'm like, I'm, it's, I mean, it's interesting because we had the E. Jean Carroll case, right? And they were like, we're going to brand Trump as a, as a rapist. Yeah. And they got a conviction. He owes $5 million, whatever it was, sexual assault. Uh, we can argue about the exact derivations of that and how it was applied. Nobody seemed to care. Like the E. Jean Carroll thing happened, and, uh, and I think she sued him again. He went and denied it, and it's all occurred, and there, there may be another defamation trial, whatever it's going to be. It, it legitimately had zero impact. And so the question that I'm trying to wrap around my head, and I'm curious what you would say right now, a part of me feels like none of this is going to have any impact because every voter has already waited in. Uh, now, maybe I'm wrong. True of, I think that's true of 98% of the electorate, and the last 2% is 
is what they think will end up determining the election, right? So it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it does anything in the uh, in the immediate sense. It's not convincing people in a way that you could see and that are going to make the polls move. Um, but at the end of the day, there is going to be a decision made by a few hundred thousand people, probably in the six states, the five states, yeah, that really matter. And will a Republican presidential contender, you know, will they view this as it's all a witch hunt or will they view it as he brought this on himself or I just don't want to deal with this headache anymore? You know, the noise and nobody can really tell you how that shakes out. That, that's the big part of this that is left out. Sitting. No one really knows. So Democrats, hey, they've thrown. I mean, it'd be one thing to have one. They got four. Crib, I mean, no, I know. you know this, but four criminal prosecutions of him outstanding right now. Four. The guy's never faced a criminal prosecution in his almost 80 years of life, and now he faces four? So they just decided kitchen sink is the way. I I think this is so crazy, too, Buck, because we're coming up. Now we're into October. Uh, It's, you know, 13 months until the actual election. And you guys know how things work. It's going to get to Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then New Year's. And I feel like as 2024 begins... This is every single one of you out there listening to us right now, especially if you're a guy, you've had a friend who was engaged. And I bet a lot of women have too. I I can only speak to to guys. And you've been like, I can't believe this wedding's going to happen. And you're like, well, it's six months away. Something will happen. And I feel like for the Democrats, it's as if they don't really realize what wheels they've put in motion. Like, you realize you get engaged, eventually a wedding ceremony happens, right? Like, you have to talk to your buddy at some point. Like, you understand what you've done here? Like, the wheels are moving, and suddenly are we going to get to March? And Democrats are going to have to answer questions. I mean, they're already starting to, you know, with the gag orders and everything else. I mean, are they going to try to put Trump in prison? Has anybody even thought about what happens with Secret Service protection I mean, I think probably what they would do, Buck, is just put him on, try to put him on house arrest at Mar-a-Lago. But during a presidential campaign, even that is crazy. What I'm getting at is the permutations of Democrat insanity. We haven't yet started to reap the consequences of their decisions in a broad way. And I wonder if they've even contemplated the wheels of justice that they put in motion because eventually we're going to get to March. And it's going to happen for a lot of us, really quick, because it's going to come out of the holidays, and we're going to be like, holy crap, this is two months away. People are prepared for what we're going to see, Buck. I, I I, really am not sure, as a nation, that they've even thought through what this is going to look like. I think that's true. And I just, I, I can't believe this is where we are. Uh, since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes who put their lives on the line to protect our country, our communities, and all of us. Heroes like 9-11 first responder Lieutenant Joseph Maiello. He answered the call to help others on America's darkest day. Years later, he suffered a fatal heart attack in the line of duty, leaving behind his wife and two kids. When heroes like Lieutenant Maiello t- lose their lives in the line of duty or severely injured, Tunnel the Towers is there to help. Tunnel the Towers paid the mortgage on the Maiello family home, lifting the family's financial burden during their darkest hours. America's heroes and their families need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel the Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. 
More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel the Towers goes to the programs there. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. RFK. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, June. He had a moment there, and uh, Clay had him on the show. I don't think I actually got to interview him that day. Uh, I, I know it wasn't the first time. I don't think we, we didn't have it the second time. Um, I was skeptical that he would manage to get very far in the Democrat Party. At one point, he was polling somewhere around the 20% mark for Democrats. And now the more recent polls have him stuck in the mid, mid high single digits, you know, seven, eight, 9%, something like that among Democrats. So he is not a serious threat to Joe Biden at all right now. Um, that's, that's just not going to happen. Uh, I was skeptical that Democrats would allow an upstart challenge like this to get very far. You'll notice the media really froze him out, the Democrat media. It was conservative media, shows like this one, that were more interested in what he had to say, particularly because of his breaking with Democrat orthodoxy on Fauci and COVID. 
I think he may have as much disdain for Tony Fauci as I do, which is saying a lot. Uh, that's that's a pretty impressive bar that RFK Jr. Uh, was able to able to uh, to cross uh, threshold. He was able to cross. So now we have on Friday the revelation. I was sitting there. I just had you know, just sweat pouring down my forehead. I'm carrying, you know, one thing you learn when you move, don't buy too many lamps and mirrors because they're impossible. They're breaking. They break. They're heavy. They're all over the place. Uh, what about how much many... books weigh? I bet you found that out, too. Oh, I've I've uh, I've had to winnow down my book collection so many times at this point from when I've I've moved. Um and and so yes, books are heavy. They're easy to pack those. That's easier, but they're heavy. So I'm I'm dealing with the move and clay text and and sure enough, I've got the possibility RFK Jr. third party candidacy. He hinted at this uh, very much on on Friday, and we'll see now where this actually goes. It is my belief, and people are going to argue about this a lot that RFK Jr. has always had more interest and support from uh, disaffected Republicans, disaffected with the system, than Democrats. And that when push comes to shove, Democrats tend to be better at falling in line. Now, the counter uh, to that argument would be Jill Stein in 2016, who I think doesn't get very much attention in conservative or uh, Republican circles, these days, because nobody really wants to hear that without Jill Stein, Donald Trump doesn't beat Hillary Clinton. But there's a very strong case by the numbers to be made that that's the truth of 2016. So third party candidates can have a massive effect uh, because the way that our elections are structured these days. Uh, obviously, Ross Perot back in the day got way more votes than, well, maybe would have been anticipated until the votes were actually cast. And because of that, Bill Clinton, with less than half the vote, becomes president. Clay, how do you how do you see this? Because in my mind, all the talks we have about the border and about the economy and about all these things could perhaps be nullified, and Biden could be effectively handed the, uh, a reelection or whoever the Democrat is, if people think it's not going to be Biden, because I think that RFK Jr. pulls more Republican votes than. Democrat votes. Where do you come down on this? I'm concerned that you're right about that. And I put up a poll about an hour ago, and I just said if RFK Jr. runs as a third-party nominee and Trump and Biden are nominees, do you think he takes more vote from Trump, more votes from Trump or Biden? 11,000 of you have voted so far. 52% of you say Biden. 48% of you say Trump. So my audience right now voting on Twitter is essentially 50-50. And, Buck, I've said there are three ways I think Trump beats Biden in the event that they run against each other. Uh, one way was that there's just lower turnout. I think we have a stake bet. Um, I expect that there will be less. I think the total number in 2020 was $156 million, whatever that final tally was, roughly $156 million. I think there will be millions less people vote in 2024. Uh, so I think lower turnout favors Trump. Um, third party. I have been of the opinion that a third party helps Trump. I'm nervous on this one. And then the third one I said was Biden's health, that he has some something that is just so 
impossible to ignore even for Democrats in the next year if he's the nominee. I'm nervous. The more I think about it, I think that RFK Jr. helps Biden. And I think we have audio, actually, of RFK Jr. saying more of his supporters would hurt Trump uh, than would hurt Biden. Listen to this audio. This is an interview that RFK Jr. did, I think, with the comedian Theo Vaughn. Listen. And then the other thing is that I take more votes from President Trump than I do from President Biden. Right. So why would that help them? Yeah, it's not helping them. Okay. So RFK Jr., based on the numbers that he's seen, if he runs as a third party, a lot of people are celebrating, saying, oh, this is bad for Biden. I think it's actually worse from Trump. It is. Um, And I would say, you know, all along, some of you know this, I was saying, guys, he's a Democrat. All right. You know, he, he says some good things on a few issues, and I appreciate that, and we'll call balls and strikes on it. At the end of the day, he's a Democrat. He's a Kennedy. He's Democrat royalty. He's not going to do something that would destroy the the Kennedy brand always and forever. And helping Donald Trump win the presidency would would do that. Um, It's something that would mean that all future Kennedys, I think, would be looked at in in a very different light. Uh, I I don't see this. I I don't think it's it's overly complicated. I don't think it's uh, it's all that difficult to understand how this would would actually go. Um, RFK Jr. would get some people that are kind of in that libertarian uh, question the system space in places like Arizona and Pennsylvania and Michigan. And those tend to be people that I think are more uh, likely to go Trump than they would be to go Biden. And he doesn't have to get a lot of votes to change the way this election turned. Jill Stein didn't get a lot of votes. That was the other. It, It can be it's where you get the votes. Which is also why a lot of this polling, like I know everyone got all excited about this poll that showed Trump ahead nine points on Biden. If we do better in New York and California, you know, if the Republican Party does better in 2024 in those states, in a presidential sense, it doesn't matter. Yeah. What matters is, I mean, it's very clear what matters are these swing states. And there's, uh, it's a much more complicated morass. Uh, in the swing states than it is just looking at the national polling a year and a month before the election. Wow, we're 13 months out. I just realized that. 13 months out. Okay, so let me ask you this, Buck. If you and I both agree that RFK Jr. helps Biden more than he helps Trump, how strategic do you think... So the report is, let me also add this, I don't think we said it yet, Mediaite reported that RFK Jr. is going to announce third-party run on October 9th. That would be, what, next Monday? So one week from today. That's a long run-up. I don't know what he's hoping to get in the meantime. It feels like that's a calculated leak. Maybe it's a desire to negotiate in some way. That's what I always think. When people say, I'm going to do something in 10 days or 12 days, I'm always like, what do they actually want? So I do think it's worth asking, if this is a leak that's calculated from the RFK Jr. camp, is he seeking something that he could get from a negotiation perspective in order to potentially forestall? If he's actually going to announce, what would you do if you're the Trump team? Because surely they recognize that this harms them. I, I, I think it could. I hate to say it. I think it could be the kind of move that costs uh, in all the swing states. And I've been hammering you libertarians out there. I voted libertarian before. 
I'm hammering libertarians. If you live in Georgia or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Michigan or Nevada or Arizona or New Hampshire, what are you doing? You have no opportunity to actually elect a libertarian, but in that space, you could definitely help to ensure that a Democrat get elected. In fact, if you go look at all the libertarians that voted in 2020, if libertarians weren't on the ballot, In those swing states, I think Trump would have won the election, Buck. So do you try anything with RFK Jr. if you're Trump? Because surely they would see this data and say it doesn't work very positively for us. And given how close this race could be, is there something you could offer to RFK Jr. to keep him from running third party? I'm just wondering. I don't think so. I don't think there's any... uh, I don't think there's any way. And, And this is why... Look, I... Everyone knows I was very skeptical of this RFK Jr. thing early on. I was willing to hear him out. He's good on COVID. That He's good on COVID, and he doesn't sound crazy when he talks about the border. You know, beyond that, he's a Democrat. And and he got a lot of attention on conservative. I, I hate to say it, conservative media kind of built this guy at this point. I mean, he was much more of a fixture on the right and getting time on, on you know, Fox and, and on talk radio than he was on the left because... I think that they saw at some level what was going on here. I think that uh, they understood that if he actually, you know, it, I, I think that there's an understanding that he's really doing this out of a sense that he's upset with the system and they didn't want to build him up against Biden. But now I think they're willing to see that this is as the vote, as the polls have come out and as the understanding of who really supports him has become more clear. Uh, he's going to hurt conservatives. I don't know what else to say. They didn't want him to hurt Biden, and I think they're past that window now. There was a window where he could have been a real challenge to Biden. The Democrats shut him out. Now we look at this and we say, oh, my gosh, if he runs third party, he could hurt Trump, and we have to sit around and go, yeah, well, this is what happens when you tell everybody on the right this guy's fascinating. Okay, so should Trump consider trying to get him in the cabinet? I don't think you'd take it. DeSantis said he'd look at him for CDC for some sort of role associated with that because he was right on COVID. I- I'm just tossing it out there. If if we lose because of libertarian voters, you people out there who are listening that may be willing to vote libertarian, this is why I said, and this is why I'm going to keep hammering this, all these people out there who, if we opened up phone lines and said, hey, if your preferred candidate doesn't win in the primary, what are you going to do? Everybody says uh, on the callers, they're like, I wouldn't even vote. I'm just going to stay home. If my guy doesn't win or my girl doesn't win, I'm done. You don't buy it. You think they're just lying? We, we can't. You we, can't be held hostage by people doing the, if I don't get my way, I'm staying. Correct. I'm staying I agree. But those people, everyone are, can play this game. those people are ascendant on social media. All they do yeah, is run course. around there like, my guy, my guy doesn't win, and I'm I'm going to just sit at home, and I hope the other... I mean, you people, and I've said this before, and I'm going to re-echo uh, it, reiterate it. I think you're a loser. I think if you are engaged in the primary process, and people say, oh, you don't, shouldn't call somebody a loser. Well, if your decision guarantees that you lose, what other word is there for it? Like, if you're truly going to sit home, if your candidate doesn't win then you're in trouble. I think this is going to get so complicated, Buck. Carnell West is evidently going to run as a Green Party. There's the talk that the no-labels people are going to put somebody forward. 
I think we may have four or five candidates on the poll uh, on the ballot in many states before all I mean, is said and done. You ask what could be done. I, I think Republicans, if they want to be smart, um, need to you know, maybe think about giving a lot of, a lot of attention and help the Cornell West get him and make sure he's on every every ballot. Make sure that he's a real force to be reckoned with in some of these states because that's ninety ninety percent Democrat votes that that he would be siphoning off ninety percent plus. I mean, I, you know, he's he's only going to take Democrat votes away. I, so in that regard, I don't, I doubt that he would. Uh, I doubt that it'll actually happen with him. But in, in that situation, that's what I think would be best for them. You saw this with Republicans in twenty twenty two, where uh, the Democrats supported in primaries. And I know people don't like this. They don't like hearing this sometimes, but they supported the most um, right-wing candidate. The the most, you know, right-wing candidate, and some of those candidates lost. All of them did, pretty much. There was almost no blowback on Democrats for spending money to try to put right-wing candidates on the ballot in many toss-up districts. That's what they did. They spent millions of dollars to put candidates that they thought were unelectable on the ballot, which calls into question, if you truly thought democracy was in danger, would you be trying to elevate people that had political opinions diametrically opposed to you? Probably not. They just want to win. That's all they care about. And that's where I think Republicans have to get more aggressive and have to get down in the weeds and have to get nastier, frankly. I don't, I, I'm so sick, Buck, of watching people try to win by the narrowest of margin. Like, if you are trying to win on a last-second field goal in the context of sports, it means that you failed during the course of the game to actually put the game away. And it feels like every Republican election strategy in every toss-up state is, let's see if we can win on a last-second 50-yard field goal. One of our longtime sponsors, Dutch Mendenhall of Rad Diversified, has released his first book. It's a big effort on his part. Smart read for you. New book's title, Money Shackles, comes with Dutch's description of what these money shackles are. Shackles represent the financial hamstrings that Americans have fought with. Go to school, get in debt, buy a car, get in debt. Dutch believes it's the wrong thoughts and teachings. In his book, he'll give you the strategies to use debt to your advantage, tap into lucrative alternative investment vehicles to redefine your American dream. Dutch is on the forefront of the greatest financial change in American history, and he wants to look beyond Wall Street and see the future of alternative investments. Get ready for the redefined American dream with money shackles. Learn more at therad.com. That's T-H-E-R-A-D.com. Break free from your money shackles. Visit therad.com. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.